Welcome to the New Hope 365 podcast. For the next three months, our children and family ministry will be online only. We are creating video content that includes challenges for kids as well as activities for families to do together. We encourage you to watch those videos and participate with us each week. Our 9 a.m. worship service will continue to be both in person and online so that you can join us in whichever way you feel most comfortable. And now, here is today's message. Today, I'm going to continue on and in a series that I had taken a little hiatus on. It's called Knowing You, and it's tied to identity. And every day, you may look in a mirror, get in a mirror, and you look at yourself, and you, you, you see something in the mirror, and sometimes maybe you go, oh, you go, maybe, maybe you go, wow, this is amazing, and you look in the mirror. There's other times where you might look at it in the mirror, and you go, Ooh. you know, and, and you're like, wow, man, you know, I am one ugly sucker, God, you know, you know, whatever, and we often, we see ourselves in a certain way, and that's identity, it's like we think of ourselves as in, whether that's good looking or whether that's smart or whether that's stupid or whether that's um, uninteresting or whether that's um, something where we're like, I don't know that anybody would find me engaging. And you walk around and you live your life with that identity. And our Heavenly Father has a lot to say about identity, the topic of identity. In fact, it's, it's something that if we can all grow to understand our identities in Christ, it changes the way you look in the mirror, changes the way we engage one another, changes the way you do business, changes the way you engage your family, your marriage, your friends, changes so much. And as we started this particular series, I talked about that, who do you think you are and how do you even start to answer that enormous question? But what scripture has to say is, You are an image bearer of God, your creator. You're an image bearer of God, your creator. And ways we, I've talked about ways that you image God is your head, your heart, and your hands. An easy way to remember, just boom, 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 all the way, all the way down. And how we, how we, your, your head by growing to understand the word of God and what he thinks of you. And, and memorizing scripture and bringing that to the surface is a way that we image God, um, and then the way that we, in our, in our heart, is those emotions that we feel towards, towards others charitably, kindness, hope. Those emotions in moments where there's something has been done wrong or an injustice has occurred. We can, something inside us wells up and it, we might call it righteous indignation. We, and we image God by letting these emotions come out that honor our Heavenly Father. Then our hands by helping others and maybe scraping ice off of windows or bringing water to those in need or, or offering a warm place for somebody to stay or I, I don't know. But we, we use our hands and it's a way that we image God in our kindness and in our hope. And Ephesians, as we've looked at the book of Ephesians, and today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and I've included that in the Bible app for those of you online as well. You can follow along. And Ephesians is this journey through one thing. Who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ. And either our identity is in Christ, meaning we're pursuing Christ, seeking after Christ, wanting to know Christ and, and experience Him 
and the spirit of God in us, or it's in idolatry. That is, we're pursuing anything other than him. Anything other than his purposes. So the question I have for you is, are you, is your identity in Christ? Is your pursuit Christ? Is your desire Christ? Or is it in everything else other than Christ? And so I've talked about that in Christ we are actually saints. You could wake up and say, say that, I am a saint. If you're a Christian, I'm a saint. We don't often think of ourselves that way, but the Bible actually says that if you're in Christ, you are in fact a saint. I talked about how you are appreciated, that many of us in life might do things and never feel appreciated or validated because of what we've done. And scripture talks about how that God actually appreciates what we do and he delights in you in what you do because you are in him. And it doesn't have to be doing just these certain tasks. It can be many things. And so today... I want to talk about your identity is one of salvation, of salvation. And it's really a fascinating concept. It's, it's like today we are sailing on a ship together. And as we're sailing on a ship, think of it maybe like the Titanic or something like that. And, and, and now you're not aware that necessarily it's going to hit an iceberg and it's going to sink, but it does. It hits the iceberg and it begins to sink and you're standing out on the deck, and everybody's scrambling, and they're going, we're going to die, and you're just standing there, and you're like, just chilling out, having a little beverage with an umbrella or something, and, and they're like, why aren't you freaking out? And you're like, what do you mean? Well, I know that a helicopter is going to come by, and is going to drop its ladder down to me, and I'm going to get on the ladder, Climb up it, get in the helicopter, and fly away. That's an understanding of identity in salvation. That literally, <clears throat> that literally, you're not afraid. <clears throat> you're not afraid of what can happen, what would happen, because regardless of what happens in this life or the next, your identity is one of being saved in Christ Jesus. This is a big kingdom concept, and it's one that you go, I've I've heard about it, but I I, I don't, I haven't talked a lot about it. Maybe you've heard of the saying like this, um, are you saved? Have you ever asked somebody that, are you saved? If uh, in the Baptist church growing up, that was, a, that was a conversation all the time. We'd be like, are your neighbors saved? Is your grandma saved? Is your grandfather saved? Um, we, do, do we hear that that much anymore? Are you, are you saved? Not, not so much, do we? I wonder why. I think because our, our God... In the scripture and what even Paul writes about is something that I don't think we can lose. We should lose that verbiage because there's something about identity tied to salvation through Jesus Christ. So, are you saved? You know, we ought to ask those questions more and more. But let's look at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And, okay, here we go. Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something a little bit different. You don't have to do this online. You can, but I'm going to have us all stand in here. Because we need to get warm and, and okay, get the, get the blood, get the blood flowing, all right? With the reading of scripture, here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And Paul says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. 
All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when we were raised, when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, and as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. In other words, if you read it in the, in the original scripture in King James, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is what? It goes on to say, it is a gift from God, not of works, lest any of us could boast. But here, I, in the New Living Translation, it says, it is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. We are God's, what? Workmanship. That he has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Lord Jesus, right now, I pray that you would just breathe into this message, into our hearts, sink deep into our souls, those of us that need a refresher of our identity, and those of us that need to grow in our identity in you, Jesus. Help us. Thank you. This is for your glory, in your awesome and mighty name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And uh, throughout the years, I've known Individuals that get, get saved and they begin to follow Christ. And, and as they begin to follow Christ, um, and a lot of times when I've met somebody that's been saved maybe at 19 or 20 or 21, um, they, they then have an idea of a heavenly father. The heavenly father often tied to the, the view or idea of their earthly father. So for some of us, the knowledge of our earthly father is the way we understand our heavenly father. Some of us, that's good. Some of us, that's not so good, right? And, but those that get saved then look at that, and, and, and it's just, as if to say, all of this time, they're trying to please their father, trying to work for, for their father, trying to gain his favor, and they do that. And they press on, and they, have, they, they want to measure up and be good. And, and then what they do is they quit full-time jobs and go into full-time vocational ministry thinking that if they go into full-time vocational ministry that they literally are going to be serving God better and he's going to be more pleased because they're actually doing his work versus working in the secular which by the way when you're working for the Lord there's not neither there's neither sacred or secular whatever you do for the glory of God you're doing you're doing it to honor him and so people think that they go in and they 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 then quit their jobs, go into full-time ministry, and I think their identity is tied up in what they do. The problem, problem is, is that then that makes the accomplishments their God. And so when they accomplish this and accomplish this and accomplish this, they're like, yes, now I find favor with God and he loves me. And the reality is, is there's nothing more or less you could do to earn his favor or his love. And then, and then time passes and maybe you get sick, This person gets sick, their child gets sick, 
their spouse gets sick, somebody gets sick, and, and you're wondering, wait, 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 I'm serving you, God, and I did this, and I've done this, and I've done this. How can this be? And then confusion sets in. And you're wondering, how, how is it, God? I, I'm doing these things. Why? It's just, these things are going so wrong, and, and it's as if your father, your heavenly father is shaking his head in disappointment at you. It's as if to say, if you'd just done better, this sickness wouldn't happen. If you'd just done better, your child wouldn't have gotten sick. If, what a twisted way of thinking. But people think that way all the time. They think about the disappointment and oftentimes anger then sets in because identity was led, was, was tied to performance. And when performance doesn't produce the results... It becomes disturbing and, and ultimately can even wreck our faith. But what needs to happen is a growing understanding that what? They are saved by grace through faith. There's nothing more or less that you can do to earn God's favor or love for you. And so, it's good news. If you're a follower of Jesus today, your identity is one of salvation. And it's basically saved is the shorthand way of speaking of salvation is it's we say saved, it's salvation. And what does that mean? Um, it's that your is it is it your eternal destination has changed? Is it salvation? Your eternal destination has changed. I would say if you gave your life to Jesus, your eternal destination has changed. But is that it? Is that it? You know how we, hey, raise your hand, come forward, let's pray for you, say a prayer of faith, give your life to Jesus, now go have a good life. And I don't think that that is exclusively what Paul is talking about in Ephesians. Paul uses the use of the word saved as a much richer and fuller context than something that's just one and done. And Paul used use of saved as tied to the what? The past, your present, and your future. The, the, the idea of salvation is tied to your past, your present, and your future. We're saved from the penalty of sin, eternally, from the power of sin in the now, and what? And from the presence of sin in the future. That's your identity because of what Christ has done and is continuing to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. Think of it this way. An author, Sandra McCracken, shares a story of two young boys in Missouri who spent the summer going to a levee with sandbags on the Mississippi River. And sadly, one day, the levee gave way and these boys began to sink in an area of quicksand. And when the rescue workers came, the younger brother was waist high in this quicksand and they asked, where is your brother? And he says, I'm standing on his shoulders. And when you think about it, as tragic as that is, just as the young boy needed saving, we too were once sinking in the sand of sin, and it took our older brother Jesus for us to be saved, to sacrifice himself so we could be saved. And like the little boy, we are still in the sand of sin but saved from the death it would cause. And one day, the rescue worker, Jesus, will come and he will pull you out completely 
and you'll no longer have to worry because of what Christ has done. So salvation, identity, completely done through Jesus Christ. But what are we saved? Saved from what? Saved from what? There's this question. And so in witnessing to others, I've asked that question, are you, are you saved? And again, many of you understand that. Some of you online understand that. Some of you may not. And so I'm going to explain it a little bit here and do it as quickly as I possibly can. So before we can embrace and understand our identity in Christ, we must accept our identity apart from Christ. What would your identity be apart from Christ? Let me ask you right now. This, online, you can type it in. What would your identity be apart from Christ? Right now, if you were here today and from... from the time you were born to this day, regardless of what business, regardless of what family, whatever you grew up in, if you were here today and you had no knowledge of God or, or you did, but you were never saved, you never gave your life to Jesus, what would your life look like? Do you think? It's just a question. Okay? Lost? Adrift? Hopeless? What else? In j- could be in jail. Yeah. Could be, could be in jail, could be lost, adrift, those types of things. If, if it weren't for salvation, many of us would just be adrift and going through life and not, not understanding what we need and how we need it. Now, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, let me read this to you again. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. You did what? Before salvation? Obeyed the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. That was your identity. Used to live that way. That was what you did. And refused to obey God. All used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So in Christ, though, if you understand, we, we, we understand our culpableness of what we were before Jesus and why we needed him. And so then what are we saved from? Number one, in Christ, we are saved from sin and death. Sin and death. Death is the first and foremost penalty of sin. And it may be obvious that death separates us from Christ. That, that death separates us. And so it, in a very real sense, it's the separation of God, both spiritually and physically. In fact, the fundamental characteristic, when I see people that don't know Jesus and are living this life and don't want anything to do with God, they're in essence what I would call dead people walking. They're just walking around life and they're thinking everything's okay, but internally and internally and eternally, their destination is one of death. But in Christ, you are saved from that, those trespasses. You're saved from separation from God. And we are what? Saved from our sins and the consequence of death. It's your safety clause. It's your safety clause. And one that we should be very thankful for. No matter what humanity or Satan would or could do, you're sa- you are saved. Just say that. I'm saved. You're in Christ. I'm saved. I am saved. So we're saved from sin and death too. In Christ, we are saved from a pattern of worldly living. It's kind of like what you're saying. I, I'm adrift. I'm lost. I'm, I'm, I, I would be in jail. It's like, this is what my life would be like if I had God not saved me. 
I would be a train wreck. I might, I might have um, uh, been a drunk. I might have been a drug addict. I might have been an embezzler. I might have been whatever. But because of God's salvation through Christ, I'm not that. So, in Christ, we are saved from a pattern of worldly living. It says in verse uh, 2, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Imagine for a moment, physically speaking, how far you would travel from home if every day you simply walked in the same direction down a well-worn popular path. Every day. You got up and you began to walk. And the next day, you walked further. And the next day, you walked further. Every day that someone is not in Christ and whose identity is not in salvation is walking further and further and further away from God. And their destination is not one of heaven, but it's one of hell. And that should bother us that are in Christ. That our identity is one of salvation. And the sinner walks deeper into darkness, devastation, and death. Paul calls it the course of this world, the pursuit of what? Power, money, companionship, significance, control, beauty, whatever. Instead of God and the things he'd have for you. But the Christian, what does a Christian do? Turns, repents, asks God for forgiveness, and begins to let Jesus craft and form their new identity. And here's the great thing. And, and, and you may not see this lived out, or you may. Your children and your children's children and your children's 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 children, of course, you won't get to see that, are changed or can be changed because of your decision to follow Christ. It's huge. The fact that you go, I'm saved from the pattern of worldly living, and it changes the lives of of generations coming behind you. So you're saved from pattern of worldly living. Number three, in Christ, you are saved from Satan. You see, a non-Christian will live like Ephesians 2.2 says, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. But in Christ, in in salvation, you are saved from Satan. And what Ephesians then 1 verses 20 and 22 says this, that raised... That Jesus has been raised, God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in a place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader. What is he? He's far above it. He's far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Now here's what I would, here's the thing that gets me as it relates to being saved from Satan. Although the ruler of this world has been defeated, he is not surrendered, surrendering without a struggle and he's still putting powerful influence out there in culture, isn't he? What I would say to that is don't give Satan a foothold. And if you're giving Satan a foothold in areas of your life, private, public, relationships, job, in your, any way you're giving him fo- what I would say is, conf- the, the scripture says in Romans, confess your sins, bring it out, bring it to light, meet with somebody, 
be accountable, and don't let that area become a stronghold for the enemy to have power over you. He can ultimately, he can't destroy you. You are saved. But he can come in and cause havoc. It's like this. If there's a war going on and, you know, the, the enemy's been defeated, but yet there's a king that doesn't want to surrender that power, so what do they do? They go out and they maybe will snipe people. You know, they'll go out and the sniper fire will occur and they'll still be trying to take out people in the midst. Even though they were defeated, there's still people trying to hurt people because they're ticked off that they lost. That's like the enemy. The enemy lost over your life. The enemy lost over your family. The enemy lost over your marriage. The enemy lost over over you and your friends. The enemy has lost, but what he does is he loads up his, his gun and he wants to bring sniper fire to hurt you in some way, shape, or form. But where protection is, is when you don't give him a foothold and you say, no, 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 I'm not allowing you in any sphere of influence over my life. So, don't give Satan a foothold. Number four, in Christ we are saved from our old nature. Our old nature. Ephesians 2.3 says this, All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature. And then, what Paul does here is he's saying... He contrasts the old nature and the new nature in this way. So I kind of paint a picture for you. And what I would say to you, if you're struggling with your identity in Jesus, write this down, put it on, your, put it on the dash of your car, put it on the mirror that you look at in the morning, and say, okay, wait, wait, My old na- the old nature is this, and the new nature is this. I'm no longer in this old nature. We are saved from that. Why do we need saving? Because of our old nature. Old nature is separated from Christ. New nature is what? United in Christ. What? We are, old nature is dead. New nature is alive. Old nature is disobedient. New nature is obedient. Old nature ruled by spiritual evil. New nature, new nature sharing in Jesus' rule over spiritual evil. Old nature, objects of God's wrath. Objects of God's affection. And all of this is through who? Jesus Christ. If you are, as we talk about in Ephesians, and as I've been talking about in identity, if you are in Christ, he talks about that, then you are no longer an object of wrath. And if you are in your old nature and you're not in Christ, it brings vague uncertainty about sin. You just don't know where's that line and how, how's, where, but brings specific awareness of sin. You are aware of the things that are right and wrong and understand what is good and evil. Spirit of God does that. Old nature, walking in sin, walking in good works. Destined for hell, seated with Christ in heaven. And I'm not going to get into the breakdown of seated with Christ in heaven, but Paul was an understanding of that time, and he was sure of Christ's soon return in that moment. He wanted Christ to come back at any given moment. And he knew that the destination of Christians and Christ followers was one that was going to be with Christ in heaven versus what? Destined for hell. So, we see that. My question I have for you is, do you have a hard time believing your new identity in Christ? Has the mirror got fogged up? Has the mirror got fogged up for your life? Because that's your identity. is one of salvation. I want to read a couple other scriptures to you, and then I'll wrap this up. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, 
And this is where we are saved by whom? Now you understand what you're saved from. You're saved from Satan and you're saved from the pattern of living in this in the evil in this world and you're, and you're, you're saved from your old nature and you're saved from, from uh, sin and death and, and you now under, are growing to understand that but saved for what? Or saved by whom? Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God who is so rich in mercy... And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And then, eight, eight, verse 8 and 10, I'm going to read it again to you. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for that. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. In scripture, the word Savior appears 24 times, actually in the New Testament, eight of those referring to God and the other 16 referring to Jesus. In fact, the name Jesus means God saves. God saves. And so we are seeing that there's no other. There's, oh, well, that car? Oh, no, no, that money? That companionship? That boss? That teacher? They, no, no, no. You get it. They didn't save you. You know that. It was through Christ and Christ alone. And that mirror has become blurred and that concept has become marred in our culture, hasn't it? That there is only one way through to salvation. There's only one way to God. It's through Christ. And then what are we saved for? Once we become Christians, last question. Once we become Christians, that question is there. Now what? What, do, what did God save us for? What does God have for us next? In Ephesians 2, 5, and 6, 6 says that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places, heavenly realms, because we are united in Christ Jesus. And notice here, everything God does in us happens with Christ through his resurrection from the dead and in his exaltation at the right hand of God. And what God has accomplished in Christ, he has also accomplished in all believers. You are raised up, no longer dead in your sins. You are, what, exalted in Christ Jesus before God. And one day, you will actually reign with Christ in heaven. And once victory, once victory is established in Christ, Paul gives us the reasons why, we, why God did this for us. Look at verse 7. So that God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Let me, let me finish with this. One Bible commentator says it this way of Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. Paul paints a bright portrait of God's grace that stands in dramatic contrast to the dark landscape of human sin in verses 1, and th- 1 through 3 of Ephesians 2. By giving believers life with Christ, 
raising them with Christ and seating them with Christ in his place of victory, God has demonstrated the overwhelmingly merciful, loving, and gracious nature of his character. This demonstration of his character was not something that happened as a side effect of his gracious, saving work, but was the very purpose for which he did the work. You get that? He rescued those who are in Christ from the domination of the world, the devil, the flesh, so that he might demonstrate forever the overwhelmingly gracious nature of his character. And I could go into man-made religion, and I, I have some stuff that I'd like to share, but I'm not going to do that right now. And all the, all the people try to craft and create to gain favor in all these works-based religions. And did you know that Christianity is a works-based religion? Just not your works. It's Christ's work. Only by the work of Christ are you saved. And now, our works are acts of worship. Going and getting a generator, an act of worship. Heating your plants, acts of worship. Graciousness of God over our lives. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes today. And those of you online, join in with me. Heavenly Father, it is by grace we've been saved. Through faith, not of ourselves. <laughs> it's a gift from you, O oh God. <laughs> and we can't boast and say we did anything other than the fact that we had to humble ourselves and recognize that we couldn't do it without you, Jesus. And I pray right now over God, your church, those that are called themselves followers of yours, those here in this room and those online. I pray, Lord, right now that they would clear, wipe down the mirror, begin to study Ephesians, and grow to understand their identity in you, Jesus. That we don't have to live in despair, we don't have to live defeated, we don't have to, to live with all the baggage that the world lives with and, and walk in directions that the world does. We don't have to, because by grace we've been saved through faith. Oh God, today clear the fog. Help us to understand our identity as one of salvation. And that we don't have to live in fear, anxiety, and worry of pandemics, of deep freezes, loss of water, electricity. Though it's a bummer when those things happen, our salvation is still Christ in you. Thank you. With all heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's any of you tuning in online today that don't understand your identity and salvation, today you can come to faith in Christ. And, and Lord, I pray for those that are questioning or wondering about salvation and wondering about their identity in that way. Lord, I pray that you'll bring breakthrough. I pray that, Lord Jesus, you will tear, that you'll remove the scales from their eyes, the blinders from their eyes, that they'll be removed today and they'll grow to understand you, Jesus, and what you've done on the cross and that they will be identified in the days and weeks to come, identified with your death, burial, resurrection, Jesus, and that new identities will be given to those who humbly come to you, Jesus. Thank you, God. In your awesome and mighty name, God, we pray. Amen.